I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. We are rocking and rolling. Okay. So we have all of the bikers here except for Josh, right? Mm-hmm. Josh is the only only biker that couldn't make it. And then the entire support crew is here. Minus Thomas. Th- minus Thomas. Uh, a couple of people came to just listen. And then we have Scotty, who's uh, the word and deed representative, if you will. Awesome. So a lot of us are gathered here. We are at the place where we started at Glendale, just outside on the uh, street is where we launched off at about 7.20 or so on the Friday that we started the trip. Um, What we're going to do is, I'm Jacob, obviously, this is my podcast, but we're going to go around the group and uh, everyone's going to say their name and a little bit of what they brought to the table for the bike ride, just to kind of get people's a little bit familiar with um, what voices are paired with what names. Um, Maybe like, I don't know, you guys, maybe for even the first few comments, you could kind of just say, yo, this is Jesse here's my 10 cents on whatever we're talking about and yeah we're just going to go through this we're going to talk about the ride what we did it kind of what our prep was how the ride went i did a instagram um question thing so i got a bunch of people who sent in questions that they want to fire at us which would be pretty funny to ask so uh yeah let's start with uh jesse hey guys uh my name is jesse and i was one of the riders uh what i kind of contributed to the team was social media, web design, and uh, making the song and video that we that we launched this off with. That incredibly, incredibly earworm. Catchy song. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I had a lot of, like, a lot of moms would tell my mom that they would walk in and their kids would be singing it all the time. It got pretty frustrating. They weren't the only ones we did, too. Hey, guys, <laughs> I'm Warren. Uh, on the on the group, my uh, main roles and responsibilities was navigation, route planning, and kind of scheduling out how we're going to complete it in 30 hours. You were also a rider. Oh, I also rode, yes. Also, Warren was really helpful because he probably had the most biking experience prior to this. Although, Aaron, you and Thomas were really helpful because you actually did the route last year, right? Uh, and my name's John Michael. Um, I did nothing except ride and did that to my heart's content. So that was <laughs> just about my only role in this. Is your heart content? My heart is very content. <laughs> we can all say he has the legs of a horse. Absolutely. <laughs> and the personality of a... <laughs> Jacob, be nice, be nice. Uh, so my name's Aaron. Uh, this year I was on support crew and kind of just kind of um, dreaming and planning about how we were going to do this. Uh, last year it was uh, ambition of me and Thomas Wickering who biked it. And we brought that valuable experience to the team. My name is Angela, and I came along as support crew and did all the cooking for all these very, very hungry boys. My name is Rochelle. I was part of the support crew as well. Um, I mostly did navigation and cooking, of course. Scotty. Hey, everyone. Last but not least, uh, Scott DeCourt here. Just a representative for Word and Deed. I was able to go to Ottawa on the Saturday to meet them on Parliament Hill. And just so thankful to be a part of this uh, group of awesome guys and their 
energetic, enthusiastic, uh, willing hearts to do this for word and deed. So back to you, uh, Jacob. Things might get a bit uh, hectic because we also have an 11-week-old Bernese Mountain Dog running around. So the our feet. <laughs> our Bernese Mountain Dogs. <laughs> She was also on the ride. <laughs> yeah, she came as well. So she was our uh, our mascot and our cute factor to help us recover. Kingston, speak. Kingston, if you eat my mics, you will so much trouble. All right. Uh, Aaron, should we shoot this over to you and kind of tell people how you started this whole idea? Because we are, we are a lot of us biking to Ottawa are version two of what you and Thomas did last year. So talk about that for a bit. All right, so uh, Aaron here with my 10 cents again, once again. Uh, so essentially, the idea behind biking to Ottawa actually came with me and Scott going out for coffee uh, just during the beginning of COVID. Uh, me and Scott's relationship was kind of developing. We said, hey, we'll grab coffee, let's chat. And Scott kind of said, hey, we need your prayers. We're screwed. Like, I don't know what we're going to do about this whole Word and Deed bike-a-thon. Because of COVID, we had to cancel this 400 ride ride between Lake Erie and Niagara Falls. And I just, we wanted to pray together, so we prayed together about it. Uh, kind of came back to me a couple weeks later and said, hey, why don't we, well, we're thinking about maybe splitting it up to separate groups. Would you would you consider organizing a group? And I went, yeah, sure, why not? So then I talked to Thomas Wickerink. Uh, he's not here tonight. He should be. But uh, essentially, I called Thomas up. I called up Warren, and I called up John Michael about, and I called up Jacob. I said, hey, let's bike to the CN Tower, raise money per kilometer we bike. And then turn towards Ottawa and see if we can make it to Ottawa. Which they all said, no, we're busy, sorry. And then Thomas was like, okay, I'll do it with you. <laughs> so me and Thomas did it. And basically we started raising money per kilometer raised. But then because we come from a Dutch community, everybody's like, yeah, no, we're just going to put all our money on the finish line. So if you make it to Ottawa, we'll get a Sorry, if you make it to Ottawa, we'll do uh, $50 per the last 100K, but nothing before that. So we kind of had... Uh, force of hand that we had to make it to Ottawa and then that kind of was the first year me Thomas uh, Ange and Rochelle Ange and Rochelle running the support van that was donated and then me and Thomas biking it and that was kind of the roundabout like how this got started and then this year we kind of just got all you guys involved and we scaled it up more than 50 percent our our funding was fundraising was double more than double our bikers instead of two were five our support crew instead of one was two vehicles, uh, and it was a really good success. Are we doubling next year? Oh, no, we're more than doubling. I don't do <laughs> growth rate at double rates. That's not available. We have to get like 40 riders next year. And we uh, did it in two hours less than they did last year. Three. Yeah, three. Three. Scotty, do you want to add anything to the to that narrative? Because I know you were, you were laughing when... <laughs> I saw a huge cringe. Scotty probably wants to use less swear words, so I apologize. <laughs> It's all right, Aaron. You have your own way of saying things. <laughs> um, no, really, it did start with Aaron's initiative. And Word Indeed was um, just struggling to host um, fundraisers because of the restrictions. And so we had to take our regular bike-a-thon, which was in uh, the Niagara region, biking along the Niagara Parkway. We had to translate that into smaller groups, and we called it the Coast-to-Coast Bike-a-thon. So smaller groups all over... Um, California, BC, Alberta, Ontario, New Jersey, they kind of broke up into smaller groups to follow uh, restrictions. And Aaron also jumped onto that as a, 
as a very unique group biking all the way to Ottawa. So very thankful for his initiative and um, yeah, very thankful for his support there. So I think that more or less brings us to the hot tub at Wickerings. Uh, does any either of you boys want to take that segment? Yeah, so we were hanging out in a hot tub uh, at Thomas Wickering's house, which is pretty much like the opposite of, of what a ride feels like. Your legs are <laughs> bathed in pure heavenly bliss um, and not do, no movement whatsoever. So we were doing a marathon of sorts in there, and Thomas mentioned that uh, that this year they were hoping to scale things up, like, like Aaron was saying, get more guys involved, uh, up the ante a little bit. And so... I knew that uh, I'm not like typically super into athletics, so I wouldn't be necessarily the first guy that people would, would hit up for this. So I was like, if I want to get involved, I have to commit to this now. And also, if I wait till tomorrow when reality hits, I'm going to know that I'm not going to want to do it. So I have to commit right now before before my brain tells me I'm, I can't. So um, I was like, I'm in. Sign me up. Pick a date. I'll, I'll cancel my plans. I'm in. Um, and then, you know, naturally, most of the other guys in the hot tub uh, – felt suddenly a rush of adrenaline and uh, and uh, what's what's the word camaraderie <laughs> no I'm looking for I'm, testosterone that's it <laughs> in, a, in a wild rush of adrenaline and testosterone um, most of the other guys said they wanted to do it as well so and then uh, Warren here I didn't get the hot tub invite but Jake called asking if he could use my bike and I thought uh, no because I'm gonna do it with you guys so nice yeah. So, uh, cool. So that um, when was that, guys? Was that like weeks ago? No, 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 no. We we were in the hot tub earlier than that. It was like I think it was February even. Either way, that that started that whole process. So then I'd say about about two months before we left, which we left on the fourth of. It was the fifth. Yeah, fourth, fifth of of June. But nine weeks earlier, most of us bought our bikes, or rented bikes, or loaned bikes, and or then two bikes. I actually bought oh. two bikes. I don't know. For some reason, I got in my head that two would be better than one. Never even used the second one on the bike. John Michael's reasoning behind that was he had two legs and he had to use both of them. <laughs> two bikes go faster. Anyways, so we, we did that, and then um, we started the training process. So I had, I had a really well-thought-out plan initially to, like, we had these deadlines and various markers that we had to meet for training, and, like, 150-kilometer caps at certain weeks and certain rides we all had to do together, and I think pretty much we ignored all of it, right? Because <clears throat> yep. we just all were so totally. busy that it was more like, all right, every square moment you can, square, every spare moment you can, <laughs> squeeze in a ride and start biking. So that's pretty much what most of it looked like for you. I think for training, most of us were doing about kind of 30 to 50 kilometer rides um, somewhere in that neighborhood, usually two, three times a week, one or two times a week. Anyone want to chime in? Anyone's schedule look a bit different? That's more or less I, what I was doing. I tried to do 50K every other day. That was my goal. I didn't always get there, but... Like in training, I did 800k of training kilometers. 
Wow. I was doing about five a month. I think I did less than you. A big thing that helped us all with training is that we all got Strava and followed each other. <laughs> so basically, if I didn't feel like getting out of the house and training, I would look at John Michael's Strava and be like, wow, I'm way behind on this week alone and get my butt out there. Huge shame levels. Well, Strava was annoying too because Strava would send me email updates and be like, John Michael has nabbed your mud run four trophy. And then I would go like out for a bike ride and I'd try and get that back. And then it was a competition between the two of us exchanging sort of the local records for a while. So compared to the year previous, it kind of gives the listeners some context here. When me and Thomas kind of started training for this, we took two and a half weeks of just like, we should bike. So we bike 5K here, 10K there. Uh, so the two and a half, three hour difference there is that nine weeks of training coming in. And I think that's really impressive to see these guys because all these guys are like average Joes, young, healthy guys, and then really building muscle for basically eight weeks to get this this job done. Mm-hmm. And then we did, so we did one attempt to get to Chick-fil-A. So we're going to do our, our Mecca to Chick-fil-A, the Mecca to Chick-fil-A in Toronto. So we, um, in Toronto, right? So we left from Hamilton and we were trying to get to Toronto. And so the first time we went, we got pretty far, what, 60, 70 kilometers in, something like that. And then Jesse blew a tire. And because we're all bright young men, we totally forgot to bring a spare tire, which was extremely stupid because blowing tires is pretty common when you're doing this kind of training. So we canned that, and that was a pretty fun adventure because we, like, then we biked, we walked our bikes, and we got shawarma, and then we missed our train home by, like, literally 30 seconds, and so we had to wait another hour to get a go train home, and we're sitting there, like, chilling on our butts on the concrete pavement as in our bike shorts. It's, like, freezing cold. It was, oh, it was, a, it was a big adventure to get home after that. And we decided with our spare hour waiting for the train, we two of us would go get coffees <laughs> and we go through the drive through and the whole thing took so long that we almost missed the train again. Okay, that was a sight when like Jesse and I are kind of freaking out because we're at like the T minus six minutes, T minus four minutes until our train shows up. And then we see you guys like, like materialize, materialize words. Thank you. Materialize. Thanks, Scotty. Um, out of the darkness and you've got all these coffees like literally electrical taped to your bikes um, that you got and that's like half it spilled all over it was hilarious they were completely cold as well Um, (laughs) it just was so sad that there was so much sacrifice something that there was so much sacrifice for something so disgusting Um, but you know it was the thought that counted and we really we really appreciate you guys Jem did you ever make any of our trips I did not come to any of them actually Okay, because the second one we did, we made it to Chick-fil-A. Um, anyone want to kind of tell that story? Because it's kind of funny what happened right at the end. All right, looks like I will. So we're biking, <laughs> right? And so we're, we're, we're getting closer and closer. We're in Toronto. Things are, things are looking up. And then we get on Young Street. It's Young? Yeah. yeah. So we're on Young. Chick-fil-A's on Young Street. We're biking. We're biking. We're almost there. It's like literally two, three kilometers out to get to Chick-fil-A. And then boom. A complete wall of anti-lockdown protesters just hit us directly on coming the opposite way on Young. And we just get like sent to a complete screeching halt. Can't move at all. And we're just sitting there like next to cops as these protesters are marching down. And it's like, nice. So our Strava scores got pretty botched and we had to walk our bikes <laughs> all the way up to Chick-fil-A. But Chick-fil-A was great. Like that refueling 
at the most blessed of places. It was pretty great. We learned there that on our actual ride to Ottawa, we would not be stopping for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's kind of what training looked like. Uh, what what kind of speeds and, and times were you guys hitting for some of your training? Because the, the best I got was roughly the 28, 29 range for about 30 kilometers or 50 kilometers. And keep in mind, guys, I don't know how much biking some listeners have done or haven't done. When you're on a high-quality, thousand-ish dollar speed bike, like a road bike, it is nothing compared to your mountain bike or your hybrid bike that you have at home. Like, people are like, 30 kilometers, that's insane, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it takes some time to get there, but when you have a right, the right equipment, you can get to those speeds pretty quickly. Yeah, agreed. I was just going to say that, um, you know, looking at Strava through our training, I can actually see the ways that some of our different strategies kind of panned out on the day of, um, for better or for worse. Uh, for instance, I was definitely probably doing longer distances than you mm-hmm. guys, but not training as aggressively on the speed, which, you know, had ups and downs. I, I think I handled like um, pacing myself pretty well, but didn't necessarily have like a higher VO2 max, as it's apparently called. Um, Jermichael, on the other hand, was going straight up and down the escarpment, and so he was just like really qualified to tackle hills without barely breaking a sweat. So, um, yeah, like on, no regrets. Like I think we we did the best we could, but it's really interesting even just looking back at like the the um, the the paths that we took in training and how that actually panned out on the day of. But yeah, uh, to answer Jake's question, I think generally we were we were doing like average speeds of of 30 usually um unless it was a lot of stoplights what about your training in in our training yeah that's what i'm saying what's insane is there were periods of because we budgeted 30 3 34 for most of the bike riding we ended up basically biking the first day the first 12 hours we biked an average of 26 kilometers an hour and for the second day, for the five and a half hours of, of actual seat time, pedaling time, was an average of 28, which was crazy. And it was 28 even through the hills where there wasn't any wind backing us, which was like, we were setting a mad pace. Yeah, so the whole route was, um, it was planned out averaging us biking 23 kilometers an hour, which is pretty slow. Any of us, I think we can all agree, could have done that for a long, long time. Um, but that was to make room for stops. Um, calls of nature that sort of thing refueling um i'm glad i found one way to say it yeah it actually popped in my head oh that's a good way to say it anyways um but most of most of our riding through the city for instance would be like 27 kilometers an hour but when we hit flat spots and we could uh get in uh basically get in shape which is in line drafting off each other we would try to average 30 and 30 and up um Many of you watching Glimpsey, which is our tracker, could have seen on the second day when we were coming down some long declines, like uh, we would, we were just hammering that. We we're hitting 40s. So, can you explain the uh, explain drafting for a little bit? Because that was a huge, like I, I don't know how many people know what that is, but that was a game changer for all of us, um, especially me, uh, because I started like put this on the table and we can talk about this more later. I was the weakest rider of our group by a long shot. And so drafting cut down my energy expenditure by once we got that right and got in a really good rhythm, that started being really, really helpful. Yeah. With drafting, it's uh, basically you line, you get in a line and the guy in front's breaking the wind for everybody else. 
as you go down the line, you prog- progressively get more protection from the wind until you're basically biking in a vacuum. So the only thing you're fighting is the gradient of the road. Um, where this is most effective is if there's a, a slight downhill and there's a headwind, then the guy in the front, he just basically wastes himself up there, saves some reserves, and then drops off when he's tired. And then the next guy will take it up, and then he'll drop off when he's tired. And ideally, you would cycle um, all five of us at the front, back, at the front, back. We did that for a long time. But as some of us um, needed to save our legs better, uh, what we could do is we, we could have some tricks where we could place weaker riders in middle positions to protect them for longer periods. And that way we could keep our overall speed up without uh, losing, leaving anyone behind. And this is a technique that Warren, like, because he actually bikes, brought to the table. I don't think we would have done that nearly as well if Warren didn't, like, really early on in our training, go like, guys, learn this, learn to trust each other biking. This is important. You'll thank me later. So something I wanted to add here, drafting's a technique quite often used in NASCAR and Formula One and other forms of racing as well. Uh, it's a really cool concept and should be looked into a bit more. It's something that I was super jealous of because these boys were just killing it in the drafting and me and Thomas were biking by ourselves. So I think that's where if we get up to the bigger groups of riders in the future, uh, it'd be really cool to see you know, 20 or 30 guys drafting together in a big long line hauling through rural Ontario. At that point, that's a Peloton. For you cyclist fans out there, you know what I mean. Ooh, look at those big fancy names. Um, my training schedule, like, I'm doing summer school, so I have a bit more time than some of these guys. So, I'll play, yeah, I was able to get out a bit more. Um, but I live at the bottom of the escarpment. So, like Jesse was saying, I'm Into tra- the mic, bro. Uh, so, like Jesse was saying, I was trying to go up and down the mountain a bunch, but... I would do a fifth, like the same loop every day or every other day just so that I could get into a rhythm. Uh, and my goal was to keep a 30K pace. Didn't always do it, but that was the goal. So do we want to chat quickly the funding side of things, what that looked like for a little bit before we actually kind of muse through and chat through day of? What do you guys think? I mean... This is the boring stuff, so we'll, we'll move pretty quickly through this. But yeah, like I think in the same way as our uh, training schedules were different, I think also we all had a different approach to fundraising. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. for instance, for me, I, I went through a big list of uh, friends who were not students, <laughs> who I who I gave phone calls uh, directly, chatting with them about sponsoring us. And then once I'd made it through that list, I was I was kind of aggressively posting on social media. Um, and a lot more of the donations that, that had uh, my name tagged in the comments were coming through from social media. Scotty, do you want to talk about how much we actually raised? Can you reveal that? Like, what certainty do we have with that? I can reveal what we know. Okay. Yeah, I can share what we know at this point. Uh, so we are four or five days out uh, after recording this podcast. And at the time of reaching the hill, we had... Pl- um, received pledges of $86,000 for the Nekakela AIDS Clinic. We had received, prior to them actually completing it, donations of around $46,000. And your goal was $50,000 at the beginning, right? Yeah. So really crushed that goal. And this week, now we're seeing those pledged amounts starting to come in. So uh, God has been faithful and God has been very good through, yeah, those who have found interest in this event and um, 
yeah, their support it just shows that the body of Christ can care for each other. Maybe I'll speak a little bit to the AIDS clinic now, yeah. um, just on why, why we're doing all this. The Nakayela AIDS clinic is located in South Africa, and it's located just outside of a main city called Pretoria. It is an in-care patient facility and out-care patient. So in-care means they take 24-hour care of about 20 patients, and that requires about 23 different staff, that requires nurses, that requires doctors, that requires cooks, um, gardeners, security. Uh, and then there's also part of those 23 staff are home-based care teams, and they visit about 400 um, patients in their homes that are struggling with AIDS. So it's it has a huge impact on the community. It, they also educate young people on the real root of the problem, which is sin and uh, HIV/AIDS is a sexually transmitted disease, and so. The clinic also works to educate um, fathers, mothers, young people on, yeah, this uh, immune-compromising disease as well. So it's a it's a wonderful cause and a very very cool place. The clinic it has gone through a lot of struggles this past year with COVID nineteen. Um, certain patients needing to be tested before they're allowed into the clinic certain restrictions about how we could care for them. Um, so the Lord has answered and guided the clinic through that this year. And um, also, it's very neat to see both sides. Yeah, the South Africa side, but also here in Canada, um, the body of Christ raising funds and supporting those around the world uh, in the kingdom of God. So, yeah, a real blessing when we can come together and do these kind of things for the clinic. <laughs> So, yeah. Cool. Um, I did the most, probably least fundraising and probably most basic fundraising, just calling people in the church, calling people around. I threw some stuff on social media pretty aggressively. Um, but yeah, I, I that was pretty much my story. Some of you guys raised a ton of money. Any particular thoughts or is this just kind of the boring part of it? We called people. We basically told people we were doing something crazy. They were like, that's cool. We'll give you money. Yeah, we can't uh, take really any, I don't know. any credit for how much is raised. We we all just, you know, you contact people. You say, look, could you consider it? And then God works in their hearts or, you know, and that's basically what happened. So no credit there. All the credit goes to God for that. Yeah, just just a quick thought on that. Um, Jermichael had a little, gave me a little pep talk uh, as we were doing this because I was feeling a little bit discouraged of just like, I don't know. I don't like calling people and asking for something, um, even though, you know, this wasn't for me. It wasn't for personal gain. It, it, I just still kind of hated that. Um, and he was saying, hey, like you're giving people an opportunity to uh, partner in God's kingdom work. And like, that's uh, that's really cool. And I, for you know, I, I wanted to believe that. But then more and more people were messaging me, like thanking me for, uh, you know, like giving them something, a way to be generous. And I was just like, I, that was like very touching to see that people saw this that way and that they were like cheerful givers. And I'm just like, I was blown away by people's generosity. Another like thing that was really beautiful on this trip was, uh, I threw my number on Instagram just saying like, if anybody wanted to pray with me as we went. And obviously I wasn't really in much state to be chatting on the phone with people, but yeah, like my phone was just ringing all day with, uh, people who would just like, I would just say hello. And then they would basically pray for me while I rode in silence. And 
um, I was just, yeah, I was just so grateful for how God was working in people's hearts and, and the generosity of their time and their money for, for this, this venture. I think one of the cool things about a, a project like this is as young guys, we have the energy and the time and the capability to pull something like this off, but we don't necessarily have the, the finances, right? So I talked with one, uh, one of our bigger sponsors and you kind of said, Aaron, I love this project because I love biking, but he's like, I can only bike 20 K an hour. And I can only bite that for an hour or two. He says, so while I'm sitting at my desk in my office running my corporation, he says, I can watch you guys on the GPS tracker. I can say, hey, this is so cool because I could never complete this myself. But he says, but I have no problem donating to it because I have that financial well-being. He says, this is something that I can be a part of it vicariously living through what you guys are doing and seeing it happen. I can now be a part of this. Whereas two months before this, nobody had approached him a project like this. And therefore, he missed out on that opportunity to be part of something bigger than himself. I feel like that's part of the whole, like, body doing different parts of the church where, like, it's working off each other. And that's where the full body begins to, like, come into its own, see its full beauty. Um, and, like, like I was saying to Jesse before, like, inviting people into giving is actually inviting people into joy. It, it's, I think we feel bad because we're asking for money and that feels awkward and weird. But when we're inviting people to give money to a, a God honoring kingdom building project, we're inviting them into the joy of eternal pleasure of eternal, eter eternally meaningful things. So that's like something we shouldn't apologize for at all. That's something to be like welcoming uh, others into. Oh, for sure. I am. I just those those exact thoughts have been in my mind as you guys are biking. What else in the world would compel you to bike, you know, and what else gives you the perspective to know that it's an eternal reward? You know, it's not just eighty five thousand dollars or what we can raise. It's knowing that there are chaplains and there are nurses um, in Akakila, in South Africa, preaching the gospel to those who need it the most, the most vulnerable, the same Lord and Savior that you may know personally is being preached and shared with them as well as their physical needs being met. And that is a vision way bigger than each of ourselves, right? That is a vision that the Lord has created through his redemptive history and through, uh, yeah, using believers now. Uh, and that's a picture that is really inspiring um, to myself. I have to I have to be honest, uh, Warren here. Uh, when I got the call from Jacob to borrow my bike, and then I just got into it as a cyclist myself, uh, very amateur, but I was just excited to bike with these guys and to see them all get into cycling. I kind of knew we were doing this as a fundraiser, but that frankly wasn't hitting home at first, and it was through the process of training and starting to think about it, talking about it with these guys. Um, yeah, God worked in my heart to make me want to do this for the right reasons and not just for, hey, we're biking to Ottawa. We're going to do it in, you know, the small time as we can. In 30 hours. <laughs> Actually, 29. Um, and so, yeah, God worked that. And I was, I was dreading fundraising, to be honest. Again, at first I was thinking, okay, I'm going to call people and ask for money that doesn't sound like a great idea. You know, culture will tell you that's a terrible thing to do. Um, and yeah, actually God did, 
kind of work in my heart exactly what John Michael said to Jassy, which is, you know, give them the option to partner and work in the kingdom. And so with that mindset, I just picked up my phone and started going through the contact list. It didn't matter who you were. I was calling them. And it didn't matter how much you give. It was just, here's an option. If you don't take it, no worries. It doesn't matter to me. So, so call everyone. So Aaron here. I kind of have a memory of this. Like last September when me and, me and Thomas were biking, I called Warren at like 1030 at night. And I was like, yo, Warren, I need your bike. Like we're, we're in a bad situation where we just wrecked a bike. Can we just borrow your $1,000 speed bike for the rest of the night? And My first bike thought it was what kind of gall does this guy have? Yeah, and that was kind of like, I learned that, I don't know, years ago, kind of just like, I'm not scared to ask for things because I know that my entire goal in life is to build God's kingdom. And that's what some of our, like, I guess some of Jake's listeners, and you kind of understand this through the stories that we've told, is that we're all part of the same community. We all have a different body part to play. And whether you can hand off uh, asset or time or capabilities to something like this, this is kind of what we're getting at is like, it's a really cool thing to be part of the backside of it this is probably like a hugely hyperbolic um like parallel but i'm just thinking about like it just ran asking for warren's bike in the middle of the night randomly just reminded me of when uh you know the disciples had to go get the the cold or or the uh <laughs> the full and we're just like what do i say to them just say like the lord needs it and then they're just like okay sure so it's like yeah if if, if you're sure that that uh that like it's you know building god's kingdom then you can ask people you can knock on doors and um you know and he'll they work things out so so he worked in warren's cold cold heart he can work in <laughs> he actually did because i got off the phone thinking <laughs> i was not going to give him the bike and then remembered uh i think um in matthew when it says what kind of father if you ask for you know bread where he will give you a stone and then uh the neighbor knocking on the door asking um for a cloak or whatever and i realized oh i know what i have to do and then he did end up taking the bike i think it helped because uh, my bike kind of knew the way already sometimes i'm trying to steer right and it just flips me left so i'm I'm just kidding daddy warren did not give them a stone (laughs) so I don't know how if fast I ever we go back on Instagram, yeah. that's going to be my name. <laughs> I don't know how fast we can move away from this conversation. But we definitely should. 30 kilometers an hour, baby. So at, here's so here's the thing. Like For me, all of what you guys are saying is, is awesome. And even it goes to us actually being able to do this was such a community effort. Like a bunch of us went to shout out to Jonathan Ritzma to get our, our like advice. And our like Jamichael and I bought our bikes mostly off of chatting with him and, and you Warren as well you know I went to Johnny he out he outfitted my bike so he's like there's this little little he's a big man there's this unsung guy behind the scenes who like gave us a huge hand food was donated gas was donated by people they probably should get an official shout out or maybe they want to be maybe they want to be on the jail I think what I'm gonna do kind of just walk through some of our bigger donators not who they are but like the substantial part that they play in our community repetitively and how important that is behind the scenes that people like this step up. And and that was, it was really cool to see because there's like a cliche with these kind of things. Like it was such a community effort and you're kind of like, Oh, you're just saying that so that 
it's a humble brag like you did a cool thing but you're going to try and offload some of the responsibilities so you feel more moral to the rest of the community the real point of this is is it was a huge community effort like it was none of us and we want to talk more about the support crew uh when we get to that actual bike ride because you guys are freaking rock stars bless Um, them they were like like it's like yeah clap clap you guys biked 500 kilometers we would have been dead at 200 ish without the support team like 110 percent. we'll get there but so for me it was all this money right we're we're at eighty thousand dollars we knew this uh the night before right when we're tallying all the money together and taking a look at stuff and honestly when i got into this project um it was a cool story i i I live for cool stories. I want to be part of interesting things that are happening so I can have a cool story at the end of it. That's honestly my main motivation for sitting in that hot tub getting this going. But it hit me hard the night of and especially kind of chatting for the first 100 kilometers or so we could talk and we did. When we were, I asked the guys like, guys, why are you biking? And pretty much all of us were like, the story got us hooked. The story like afterwards that we could say what we did. But it really started to weigh on me when I was biking. Like there are thousands of dollars riding on us getting there on time and literally there are people who will or won't be reached with the gospel if we do this or don't do this now god's sovereignty there's theological all that aside it is very relevant the fact that there will not be money making its way to this clinic and there will not be people reached and will not be people helped if we don't do this and that added a level of like depth to doing this that I did not have going in and it only kind of dawned on me and that helped me get through a few points where I kind of wanted to just oops and hurl myself into a ditch and not get up again (laughs) um and I had plenty of those moments and we'll we'll talk about that right but I don't know anyone else have anything to add before we just talk about like doing this thing uh just really quickly I I just think it's so interesting that like community is built by people like asking for help with stuff if you if it's always a transaction um that's not that's not community that's just like a business nothing wrong with businesses um but like yeah community you know like your your first community is your family and your parents are just giving you stuff that you can't repay and like as you like as i'm getting older i'm realizing like probably the fastest way to connect yourself to your neighbors is to like ask them for help with stuff and then and then obviously be willing to help them with stuff as well but um yeah, I just I love how much community was built through having to people having people being radically generous um, with the the request that we put out there. Anyway, maybe just a quick note here, Scott here. The idea it all just starts with an idea, right? A spark, and then the whole fire gets lit, and everyone else around it gets warm. And I think that's kind of what's happening as the community. You kind of you watch it, and you're you're inspired by it. And maybe you want to start your own spark and you have something you're interested in and you want to make an impact, uh, make a world of difference for someone uh, maybe you've never met before around the world. And I think using our time, talent and treasure, what we've been talking about uh, can really be a blessing to yourself and as we know, blessing to those around the world. So uh, feel free to to reach out um, to myself, but also to start that thing that maybe you've been thinking about doing and don't be afraid guys to to take the step before you think you have everything in place you know you might think you know i don't have this 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 finances the equipment or whatever you're going to do just start taking steps and and watch how god works because if you are working for his kingdom he's taking notice and he will be there for you 
Well said, gentlemen. Scotty, I'm going to make you a t-shirt that says King of Metaphors, because you've dropped like 15 good ones over the weekend. It's been awesome. All right. Day of. We all came to Glendale, where we're at right now, in Hamilton, downtown Hamilton, uh, the night before we left. That was a big time of prepping our bikes, getting stuff ready, last minute stuff, packing our bags full of dates um, and Skittle bars and whatever else we had um, for energy. And what were you guys feeling the night of, like right before we went to sleep? We all kind of wanted to get a good night's sleep. What, what was kind of going through your minds? Any, any profoundness there or were you guys just, let's do this? It's so dumb. I wasn't stressed about the ride. I was only stressed about getting a good night's sleep, which was like probably the worst thing to do bef when you're trying to get a good night's sleep. So that was really dumb. I had Josh pull me over to the sleeping bag and be like, dude, stop looking at the route. It's good enough already. <laughs> I was just annoyed you made me skip uh, my evening's plans. <laughs> I had nightmares of, I Jess, I told you this on the ride. I had a series of nightmares and I woke up and I was like, that's dumb. And then I would fall asleep and have them again. That I was like, we'd stop somewhere along the trip and I could not get my stuff back together. Like I would walk to my bike and not have my shoes on or I'd then go get my shoes and I walk back to my bike and my helmet wouldn't be there. But everything was like moving through molasses. So I felt like, like I would, in my dream, I was taking a half an hour to get all my stuff together. And all you guys were looking at me like, Jake, you fool get on your bike let's go and i couldn't get on like guys i'm so sorry and i would wake up and be like i'm really organized like that never happens i have my stuff in order when i need it to be fall asleep same nightmare so that was the worst <laughs> otherwise i slept fine uh the thoughts running through my head i didn't sleep here at glendale with these guys but i was laying in bed and i thought oh here we go on this adventure again but these suckers have no clue what's coming <laughs> so that was kind of fun for me because i knew i wasn't committed to biking the 500 kilometers um but it was really cool to see how these guys had prepped and were ready to go but yet still had no clue what they're going into okay. so like just like little things like seeing them leave glendale with like two water bottles and like this that and the next thing strapped to their bikes and all like excited and giddy and then like seeing 200 kilometers later they're like just get rid of this weight like take it off of us right and just that like learning experience but also that like insane um wanting to be ready for something but not actually being ready for what's about to happen uh and then just trusting that it's all going to kind of work out was really cool for me to see aaron i'm going to push back on you there it was better than i thought it was going to be i was mentally prepared for to hate my life more like don't get me wrong there were parts where i was like absolutely miserable for sure but i thought it would be more of i thought there would be more percent a higher percentage of the 500k would be misery it was like i would say there was 200k of misery 200k of feeling awesome and 100k of like neutral and i was expecting like 100k that would be good and that would be it like so anyway that's my pushback that's an interesting breakdown i can agree with that um i think just to get into the ride here a little bit as we left the house um yeah we were all gung-ho and the hardest part of the first leg which was from here to oshawa was trying not to pedal too hard uh, we were all trying to pace ourselves while our legs felt like they were primed and prepped. Everyone had rested two days prior, and we just wanted to hit the road and hit it hard. But we're all like, hey, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. And honestly, without the bike computer, we probably would have just gone way too fast, mm -hmm. gone way too, got to Oshawa way too soon and burned ourselves. So that was my favorite leg of the trip. The first 120-odd kilometers, that was so much fun. Like, 
even Jamichael and I sharing an earbud jamming out to Dirty Loops, which is an awesome funk jazz band. Like that was, we could like talk and bike at the same time. Um, the first bunch of it was like a really, really good time and I actually like enjoyed it. It felt like more or less relaxing, enjoyable bike ride. Yeah, and drinking way too much water, so our calls of nature stops were way too Listen, often. Listen, <laughs> I'm going to stand here and stand by that choice. I drank a lot of water, and I'm glad I drank a lot of water. It kept me hydrated. That's important. But yeah, we had to stop for a pee breaks. Good amount of time. Jake, I didn't say it was you, but thanks for coming up. <laughs> no, I'm going to own this. I Listen, as an inexperienced biker, I want to err on the side of, uh, of just, I don't know, I probably plowed an entire Gatorade bottle every single time we stopped, more or less. Which was every 20 minutes. We didn't stop every 20 minutes. You crazy? We stopped like once every hour and a half. Yeah, we, uh, on the first leg, uh, we definitely had to learn from that and be like, okay, we can't stop so soon. And basically every time we see the sport car, we want to stop. So we had to start hiding them further and further away from us. So we actually had to work to get to the sport car. Yeah. Um, so actually, so biking. We all left feeling pretty good, biking through Burlington, through Oakville, getting up to Toronto, feeling pretty great. A lot of us were, were chatting while we were biking, so it was not bad, kind of keeping a solid, I don't know, 26, 27 kilometers or so. Um, and then we get to Toronto and we pass a couple uh, or four cops on bikes. I'll, Aaron, Aaron, tell the story of how that happened. I'll take it after you. Okay, so in my life, I've had enough experience with the police officers to know that um, when you approach them, it's a good situation. When they approach you or AKA chase you, uh, it's just not going to go well. So essentially, I saw these four guys. They're just biking down this park in downtown Toronto. And I know the guys are like two minutes behind, kind of GPS tracking them. We're on top of them. We just want to see them bike past before hitting the CN Tower. I see these four cops. and I was just like, this is perfect. So I go running up to them with my rubber boots downtown Toronto. I kind of look around and I realize that I'm a farmer standing in the middle of the city. I have these four cops getting towards me. I have this massive grin on my face. I'm like, boys, officers, can I just ask this favor of you? And they all get really concerned because like, I'm way out of place here. This is not normal for them. So this is what's going on. We're doing this bike-a-thon. We raised a bunch of money. These boys are two minutes behind you. They have no clue that you're here. Can we get a police escort? And the cops are like, yeah, sure. We do this all the time. Not a problem. Got nothing else on the go. So we chilled out in the park for two minutes, kind of broke down what was going on and what our plan was over those what, two minutes. And then the boys caught up and uh, we had the police officers uh, escort them to downtown. So we passed these cops on bikes and we're, you know, we're going our merry way, chatting it up. And then they pull up behind us. We're biking along. Hey. Hey, guys. Oh, hey. hey. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're biking to Ottawa. Yeah, we know. Oh, we're doing it in 30 hours. Yeah, we know. Uh-huh. How do you know? <laughs> and what do you want from us? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, your, your errand guy stopped us. And we're like, really? And they're like, we're going to escort you. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I was, okay, I was a 10-year-old kid almost entirely for that ride. We're just chatting with them, talking about being a police officer and stuff. It was, it was great. We got an escort for the cops. Then they went in front of us and turned on their lights. And that was the coolest moment I've had in ages. It was great. We're sitting there. We're cruising through downtown Toronto. We're approaching the CN Tower, biking on the road with cops in front and behind with their lights on. And we're just blazing through traffic. They're stopping like stoplights to let us go through. It was like the greatest thing ever. And here I am worried, oh, no, we can't blow through red, red lights anymore, as we've been kind of doing a little bit. Don't worry, we slowed down a little bit. 
Um, and there they are stopping traffic for us. I don't think I'll ever ride into Toronto in such style ever again. It was great. So that was that was a pretty fun moment. And then we met um, we met at the base of the CN Tower and got some more snacks and fueled up and yeah. And then off from there is continue biking and kept going to Oshawa. Yeah, and honestly, the last stretch to Oshawa, um, I kind of said to the guys, oh, it's not too much further yet, but <laughs> it definitely was. Minutes. And yeah, honestly, the, the stretch from the back end of uh, Kingston Street, where it becomes Highway 2, um, it's such a straight stretch on the map that I never really zoomed in to look at it. So as far as my mind went, I just thought, oh, it's basically a straight shot from here to Oshawa, it's, and it's pretty short. Um, so I wasn't even looking at my phone and I honestly thought it was close and we all got very exhausted through that long stretch is what it turned out to be and uh, much deserving lunch waited for us in Oshawa. Yeah. So uh, you guys, maybe you guys can talk to this. It is, is absolutely astonishing to me how much expectations play into your mindset for this. When you feel like something's five kilometers, 10 kilometers away, you kind of burn yourself out with that mindset. Whereas when you know it's 60 kilometers out, you bike the exact same, but you pace yourself mentally in a weird way. Like, I don't know if you guys can talk to this at all, but it was, it was, it was very strange that way for me. And I know, well, after we hit the 250 kilometer mark, had, had supper and kept going, a big part of the reason, like I got a gnarly second wind for, for the next 70, 80 kilometers. Big reason was like, mentally, we had tipped. It was like, it was a count down from here instead of sort of a count up to the middle, right? So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but it's re- you, you kind of had to play interesting mental games with yourself, uh, games of expectation versus where you were versus where you were going, because you could mentally get into odd places if you felt like it was right around the corner, but you still had 25 kilometers to go, which happened a couple times. Yeah, I, I, I know that the expectations are huge. Like even in training, sometimes you'd be doing a 50K and you kind of had something you wanted to do that night and you would just be like hating your life at the end of a 50k which like in, in retrospect to 50k should be nothing compared to 500 but there were like 50ks where i hated my life and it's like that should make no sense but yeah on this trip like i said like i, I think more than half of the trip felt great um and so yeah expectations are huge there's probably more on there somewhere but we're not gonna get into that tonight <laughs> <laughs> you you say more than half your life or ride felt great the first 100 felt great for me the final 80 maybe 100 felt good for me the middle 300 was pretty much trash mm-hmm. i was like yeah and i was definitely the weakest rider of the group and so i was i was kind of de facto setting the pace mostly because there's just periods where i was like falling behind pretty pretty hard so i guess i paced the group and there's big periods where it's just like kind of mentally just make it to the next rise next rise next rise and that especially came maybe 30 kilometers out of uh, out of our first stop at Oshawa. So just some experience from the first year compared to these guys in the second year. Uh, when me and Thomas were biking, I found the first 300K was like all right, but the 300 to 400K was where both me and Thomas had already preset our minds to be like, we're going to be really dead here. And I remember kind of having this conversation with Thomas about he's significantly more muscular than I was when we went on to this trip. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to crush you. Like I'm just going to take you out. It's going to be no problem. I says, yeah, wait till you get to the 300K point. Just wait till we're at the, the around the clock, uh, dehydration, the 
not eating enough food. We're not prepped for this. So then we'll see how your mindset kicks in. And I remember Thomas, like, just, like, speeding along, got to the 300K point, and was like, Aaron, I'm not sure I can keep going. Like, I, I, I don't know if we can do this. And just kind of playing, like, psychology into doing a difficult thing. When your body says you're done, you're only, what, 60% of the way? Right? There's another 40% you can keep going. So it was like, as soon as Jake got past that 250, it was like he had to make another 100K, and we were set. And I think that's something that really kind of the mindsets what helps you get through difficult things weirdly having a couple people who weren't feeling the greatest helped me with my mindset because i was not thinking about myself i was thinking about how the team was going to get there and how we were going to you know work with our lineup and everything so i was like forcing an optimism on myself for myself, but also for everybody else, which then transferred into actually feeling better on the bike than maybe I would have, because like I viewed this completely as a mental game, almost nothing to do with my legs. So there's another interesting side of this too, where weirdly enough, biking with you guys um, was the main one of the main motivations that kept me going. Because there's a few times where I nearly blacked out, more or less, or almost fell asleep riding, whichever one you want to go with, and. Which then, he didn't tell us about until <laughs> no, way later. I, I did not. I just kind of kept biking. But I, my main thought was going through my head was, you're finishing this if you have to haul your corpse over the line because there's like there's money on the end of this for people who really need it. And the, But the bigger motivation actually was, I am not letting these guys down. Like Even if we have to pull back to my pace that's comfortable, I'm going to like bike ahead of them at rests or whatever I need to do because like, I can't be the one that kills the entire team. And you guys were like, rock stars for, for that, for just being encouraging and, and not being a grudge or not being annoying or anything. But m- for me, it was just keep going because these guys like don't slow. And I was doing mental math the entire time. For me, it was constantly like, what pace can I manage? What pace are we at? What's our time frame left? Can we do this? What, what stops do we have to go in here? And I was, we were always in the green. Mostly there was never a point where it was like, oh crap, we might not make this. But it was always mental math. And that moment after we got the hill, like that gnarly hill at the end. And I started, yeah. And I started doing the math and I was like, Oh, we're actually going to make this. That's when I, I relaxed and I was like, okay, we're good. Cause I could keep the pace we were doing. We were doing fine. And it was like, we were, we were rocking and rolling. Yeah. Jake, uh, to his credit, he would put poles on the front. Even when we were saying to him, Jake, don't pull on the front. And, but you can stop the guy because he, he would have fire in his eyes, even if they weren't in his legs. Pride. So he'd get up there. <laughs> there was times when some of us would put poles. Um, a pole is basically when you get on the front to break the wind. And this is after dinner, so we're biking into the night at this point. And, uh, you know, you're, you're feeling it in your mind, but the legs don't lie. And I would be just watching my computer, and the speed would just drop, drop drop and we'd have to almost yell at each other okay off okay off the front and and you don't want to be rude but we're all working together as a team and we all had to like tell each other too guys let's all put our prides aside everyone's working together on this if you're having weak spells and honestly i think even the strongest of us had weak spells i know there was a time when i dropped off the front to catch onto the back of the train and i was having a hard time staying on the wheel and i was thinking oh no like I'm in a weak spot right here, but we just had to be honest with each other and, and talk it out and say, hey, guys, this is too fast for me. Let's knock it off um, and pace ourselves at this section. And when everyone was strong, we'll take advantage of that. I want to rewind a bit because uh, we're, we're a little bit ahead of ourselves. So f- 
Oshawa, 130 kilometers in, something like that. That's when we had lunch. And these girls are rock stars. We would be a mess on the ground if it wasn't for like them prepping dope meals. Like, <laughs> guys, don't clap in front of mics, you morons. So these guys were the best. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you guys. Tell us what it was like for you guys. Because um, we had, sorry, a little context here. We had two support crews, right? So we had Aaron and, yeah, yeah. well, let me just, just do an overview because Aaron and Thomas were in the blue Yaris, which became the most beautiful vehicle in the world. I have so much good associations <laughs> with that car right now because you come around a corner, so honestly, true. you come around a corner and you'd, and you'd see that car and my heart would just be like, thank the Lord. I've been, Fine. I've been Pavloved into like my heart just racing when I see a, a blue hatchback on the highway. And it's like, oh yeah, I don't need it anymore. But I get, I get hyped. We all want to drive up to them and say, pull over, pull over. We know they got food and goodies in the back. So, kind of speaking to some of my time, this isn't the first uh, hard endurance hard endurance race that I ran a support truck for. One of my first experiences in this was I was 18, and I ran support truck for a five-man dirt biking crew, dirt biking across Ontario in 24 hours. And what I learned in that experience was, like, the race is made or broken in the support. If you ever watch like Tour de France and those guys running support crews, like insane, so cool. So we really failed on a lot of things. I think we could improve on next year, but at the same time, these boys are so desperate that anything we did was like <laughs> amazing. So it was really fun for us because like me and Thomas were in the support car. Like the reason, part of the reason me and Thomas didn't bike it was to run support to learn the backside of support. So that when we scale this event up, we have the experience of biking, the experience of support, and the experience of putting together a larger event. So we ran this year the Toyota Yaris, and that carried primarily small snacks and beverages and iced coffees from Tim Hortons. Shout out to them. Uh, maybe a sponsor for next year's event. And Gatorade. And Gatorade. We would prefer you guys too. Uh, and then uh, we ran a big cargo van and trailer. And the big cargo van trailer ran two spare frames, which had all our spare parts on it, which we didn't use at all, which was great. Uh, it had the toilet, it had the camp stove, and then it had like bigger meal plans. And Rochelle and Ange can talk kind of about bit about what that was like. So our biggest thing was trying to race you guys always before you would get there and have everything prepped and the chairs set out and the food already, so you could literally come in and just eat. So we would drive ahead, literally time it, watch you guys on the Glimpse app, and then um, make sure everything was just exactly right so you guys could get in, eat your food, rest, and get back out again without losing any time at all. That was pretty much our biggest thing, I would say. I think the funniest part of it all was that um, everyone would stop and ask us what we were doing as we looked hilarious on the side of the road making all these meals that people would be like, are you selling stuff? Are you sampling stuff? Like, what's going on? So we'd have to explain every single time we stopped to like five different people as to what was going on. Imagine if we had arrived at a stop while exhausted and there's like, sorry, we sold your food. That would just be... I mean, we were tempted. So I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to say this over and over again. Like, the support crew, there was one point where, to give you guys an idea of like how you can't predict some of these things, right? So we rolled into Belleville um, around, what, seven or eight? Something like that? Yeah, it was about seven. So that was for supper, right? And I rolled in feeling nauseous as heck. I, like, could not take down food. 
Um, I slowly nibbled at some chicken, ate a few pieces of watermelon, not nearly the amount of calories that I needed. And so it was like, all right, whatever. Like I got what I can, so be it. Then we started riding and I got a like really sweet second wind after this. And so like I was breaking wind for a long time. Um, like we're breaking like in the yeah, front. Can you pulling. define breaking wind? <laughs> I was pulling at the front for a long time. You're the worst. And, um, and I was like, I was going, feeling great, but then I started getting hungry. Right. And so at one point, uh, Aaron like leaned out of the yards and he was handing me like shish kebabs, like skewers of chicken. And I would grab it from him while we're biking at full pace, strip them off, eat them, hurl the kebab aside and grab another one. And it was awesome. Just yeah, the, the driving was just the drive by snacks were the best. I saw Jermichael getting pepperonis, Jake. And one time they were driving by and like, who wants iced coffee? And I didn't want the crash, but a sip of it sounded so good. So I was like one single sip and Aaron pulls up beside me and like pours it down my throat while we're at speed, <laughs> maintaining speed with the crew. It was so funny. I think at one point I had three iced coffees consecutively and I would finish it pass it back in, grab another one. <laughs> like, as I'm in the front <laughs> pulling, it was amazing. And and I'm sitting here as a bit more of an ex- experienced cyclist watching this going, okay, so later when they have upset bowels, and I won't lie, we did have some upset stomachs at certain points. I wasn't surprised. It's an error we can move. Um, yeah, so I can't really say everything I did on this trip was legal. Um... <laughs> There may have been some seatbelt wearing, may have not been enough seatbelt wearing. Uh, I think next year we're definitely going to put a little bit of like a really wide step on the side of the yard so we can just like, you know, encourage the guys as they're going along. How about a tow rope? <laughs> a ski. Nope. Scott's over there looking like, I don't know how much damage control I need to do to this conversation. I'm, I'm just going to sit this one. Oh, he's coming in? He's going to. Wait, 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 wait. What wasn't legal? <laughs> Everything we did was legal. That's the, that's the kicker because we had to wait. Remember? Because of the restrictions, you guys did. We had to wait to see if we could um, have five bikers outdoors because the the stay-at-home order had to be lifted, and it lifted a few days before. So um, that was that was a lot more planned than I think people realized because we kind of we we talked about potentially maybe two dates, and the whole COVID issue was really worked out kind of to a T to figure out what was legal, what wasn't legal. I think that illegal part was probably me leaning at the back of the Toyota Yaris, handing off beverages. <laughs> so that was something on the side. Oh, okay. We, yeah. we maintained COVID compliance through the whole thing, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I, w- I was very thankful and impressed with that, too. So, yeah. awesome. So, if we get, as we go back to the route, so we, we left Osho and we had to make it to Belleville. That was the, the second leg. That's another 120 kilometers along Highway 2. Um, that was through the heat of the day, and I think all of us kind of crashed about halfway there. Um, again, God just kind of provided everything this day, and through the night and through the whole next day, the weather couldn't have been better. We had zero flat tires, and at this point, we were all we were all just very shot in the legs, in kind of in uh, in our mental game too. Even the the strongest of us, I was I was talking to Josh, going, "Man, I feel really whipped right now." And he said, yeah, me too. Now, to put it in perspective, Josh has a decade less than me. And he was like a jackrabbit out there. If you put that guy in the front and you don't rein him back, he will just take off and leave the whole train. So like um, the, the facial expressions of this crew was, Jacob, I hate my life and I want this to be over and I'm the weakest link and I just want this to be done. Warren was a nice smile. Jesse was a wink every time he passed by. Okay. John Michael was a little bit of a nod. 
Josh was like tongue out, eyes blinking, like smiling away, waving at you, <laughs> like all kinds of weird stuff because he just, his energy was insane. Yeah, so I, I turned over to Josh just at this moment and uh, he said to me, I'm whipped too. And I thought, uh-oh, uh, we're so screwed. Let's just pull over at the top of this nest hill and, and we'll just sit here for 20 minutes. And lo and behold, who's sitting at the next hill? The support car, the little Yaris. And that was just, to me, that was just a God thing. We didn't tell them we were whipped there. We didn't tell them, like, we know they're following us on the tracker, but many times we don't see them for 30K or so. And then we all just rested there. And when we got on our bikes, we all just felt like 100% better. It was amazing what a 20-minute break in that spot could do. And then, um, yeah, and then there was another point where we, we left uh, Belleville feeling really strong. We, like, we crushed probably 70 kilometers out of there feeling pretty great and then that last like 15 after that was just hard that was where for me was some of the moments where i was like like you know you guys everyone knows that feeling you're driving and your, your eyes start to close i was feeling like that while i was biking full tilt and just my eyes would just drop drop and it snap drop drop snap and that was that was bad and we pulled over and i was like I, I still had 30 40 kilometers in me like i was still feeling like we could do that but I was just utterly dead. And it seems like everyone was feeling about the same. And that's when we moved the campsite about 20 or 30 kilometers closer or something like that. Yeah. So we were originally supposed to sleep um, for five hours. And that is what we still ended up doing. It was closer to Westport where we're going to stop. We actually pulled it back 50K. Um, we decided this kind of on the go. Again, we just chatted with the girls through the support car. And they moved the site. Again, champs. They had minimal time. Um and they pulled it off. We had like a campsite getting set up. There was, there was boiled eggs to just eat. Um, and we ended up in just north of Kingston, probably about uh, 40 kilometers from town center, directly north on Highway 10. And we just kind of sprawled out in some of us in a baseball dugout, some of us in a tent. And uh, that's where we called it quits at about 12 that night. Yeah, and that was almost exactly um, 150 kilometers out from our destination. So we hit the hay. Um, we woke up feeling great. I, I, don't, I think pretty much all of us, we were sore, but not like, not like I was expecting to wake up and just feel like my entire body like riveted in pain. But I felt like, eh, I feel sore, but let's go. I did notice that all of us were looking at the saddles going, wow, that looks very small. I can't, do I have to sit on that again? Man, that, your butt is never as sore as the first five kilometers out of a rest. It is, a, it is an experience and a half. Um, and then we, from there, so we woke up and we grabbed a little bit of food and then we just biked um, with very, not like much preparation, just, just going out there. And then when we woke up, the girls, uh, you guys went out 35 kilometers down our trail and then set up camp there and then made us breakfast for us to arrive to. Uh, I think that worked out really well for you guys. I think all of you guys were feeling pretty good. I was feeling awful. Um, I needed to eat way more food than I did. And the hills were pretty gnarly for me. So I was really toast by the time we eventually rolled into um, breakfast. But that was an experience because it was pretty beautiful hills. And just rolling down, seeing the, the van there and like rolling into the smell of like mm -hmm. eggs and sausages frying was like, thank the Lord. It was so beautiful. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. No one else wants to say anything. It was just, it was just wonderful. I think it's really cool how a big, ugly brown van and a crappy old white trailer 
Like, there's no beauty in it, except for when you're so exhausted in the smell of food. These boys, like, just lit up when they saw it. They're just like, mmm, the savior. Like, this is, <laughs> this is energy. This is a half-hour break. This is food. This is water. And I think my favorite time is the first, like, five minutes they're all resting in there, getting into their chairs. They're just wolfing down whatever food's available, whatever, like, liquids are available, just singing praises about how this last 10, 15, 20, 100K wasn't that bad and how they're, like, you know, how they're feeling. And then, like, 20 minutes later, them like, trying to pull them out of the back of the van from a nap, be like, guys, we have to have to get going again. I'm sorry, but we've all committed. Oh. See, we really wanted to make sure breakfast was just perfect and just perfectly tasty because we knew that down the road was a nasty, nasty hill coming up. And we wanted to make sure they could get up that hill <laughs> without stopping. So we knew breakfast had to be perfect for them. We also weren't going to tell them about said hill as none of them had any idea it was coming. <laughs> yeah, that was a trip. Someone else want to deal with that hill conversation? Yeah, sure. So basically, God made this massive hill, and it's kind of like, uh, what, 90K out of the city of Ottawa? Uh, last year. Uh, just outside of Westport. So last year, me and Thomas came across it, really big hill. We're like, oh, this is not fun. We biked up most of it, and there's a gravel section, and we're like, hey, you know what? We can get off our bikes and walk the rest of it. This year, they just, I don't know, COVID, uh, they just decided to chew up the whole road into gravel, and they kind of called it quits at that. So it was kind of interesting to see the boys bike up this like, giant hill. I think they'll speak about how tired they were and kind of going into it, but it was pretty cool to see. By bike up, it you mean only Warren biked up. The rest of us ended up walking a good chunk of it because it was just it was so steep and the gravel sort of felt like a nice excuse that like oh maybe maybe it'll pop my tires so maybe I'm better off to walk it. It was it was beautiful. I thought for sure you guys would all come up walking. Nope, Josh, smile on his face, just booking it down the road as if it was no problem at all. Josh actually, when he gets off his bike, he doesn't start walking. He runs it up. So there's our jackrabbit right there. I am like death marching my way up <laughs> slowly, painfully. At one point, you... Steely uh, Yeah. Aaron, like, comes down and you offer to grab my bike and help and I'm just like, no, I'm taking this. But I just like slowly just marching this thing up. And then uh, we had uh, fuzzy peaches candy at the top of the hill, which was, that was fresh. That was a The good... hill was actually a blessing in disguise because it really gave us a good gauge of who had what it, the strength and the legs left to go the final. And up to that point, we had been rotating five at the front. Um, but we definitely needed a better system to keep the group together. Now, all of us could have kept riding, but we all couldn't keep riding at the same pace. And so the only way for that to happen was for... The, the stronger riders who became more apparent on the hill to start taking longer pulls. And then our weaker riders, I mean, I don't we, mean that they're riders. weaker. We weaker riders. That's fine. More tired at this point. Um, they, could, they could sit in more protected spots. So by this point, we had kind of learned that the back position um, is always kind of nerve-wracking. It's stressful in your mind because as you lose the wheel a little bit, you know there's nothing behind you but empty road. And... And so you'd never want to be in that spot. Everyone, everyone agreed that that's the spot they, they hated. So that spot was for a stronger rider. And then obviously you would want to pull at the front. So the first two spots were for that. So then what we did is we kind of set up for the guys who are more tired to sit in the third and fourth positions. And 
basically the hill was the point where we said, okay, this is, this is how we're set up and this is how we got to ride from this point on. And, and we made great, great time after that. Yeah. And the rest of the rest of it was just, it was from that point on after that huge hill, it's mostly downhill. Um, we had the wind to our back. Thank God. Like, I mean that with utmost sincerity, it was, if the wind was reversed, we would have had a huge problem on our hands. Um, and we made insane time. We like we were we were doing for about an hour. I think we did about what thirty six, thirty seven kilometers an hour. Like we were killing it. Yeah, we were going into the forties pretty regularly there, especially when uh, Jem was on the front. And then when we and then we got probably seventy kilometers out, and we realized that we could make this under the thirty nine mark, and that kind of became our new goal. By the way, I think Thomas rashly promised he would donate an extra five hundred bucks if we made it <laughs> under twenty nine. I just want to put on record that 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 it happened, and uh, we want that. Yeah, so that'll happen. And yeah, then we we uh, who joined us like at that last little bit, Jess. Oh, uh, a friend from my church uh, joined us for the last hundred k to cheer us, or the last fifty k to cheer us on. Cool. So that shout was, out to Anson. Yeah, so that was really cool. Uh, I think he was really helpful too. Kind of another person to break break uh, break the wind, and uh, it was really cool. And we. It wasn't even that climactic. We just we kept going. We were making good time. We biked into Ottawa. And basically, since we made such good time, if anyone was watching on Glimpsey, you'll see our, our speeds were up for quite a while there. That time that we gained there basically gave us the buffer to enjoy the rest of the trip. So basically, from Perth, Perth on, we could kind of keep it at a relaxed 30 kilometers an hour. I mean, relaxed, still, still drafting off each other. And then... Uh, from that point on, with Hanson to an extra wheel to help help bring guys back on if they drop off the back, we all we had to do was contend with some a couple really rough roads. Um, that I mean, we had had good roads for the most part, but shout we out to the agree. city of Ottawa. Please get your stuff together. <laughs> yeah, Richmond Road needs to be replaced all the way through. Please, there's one section that feels like you're getting pummeled in the rear end every time. You're like, my butt's already sore. At this point, it's like hammer. Hammer, hammer, <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah, and and the the mental stress of it too, where you're like, yeah, I got a bike, but it's like you're eagle-eyed on the road because you do not want to meet like the cracks of doom and like you know <laughs> blow your waist into the yeah, it was bad. And then yeah, we, we got into Ottawa. Um, some people got a little bit eager getting in, which was less than ideal, but. Hanson did a great it. job too. He uh, he's been biking around Ottawa for a little while, so him and I chatted about the route, and we uh, we were able to change it out so that uh, the parkway is closed going in, which I had no idea about. Um, so we we got on the got on that parkway just at the end. Anyone know the name? I think it's Sir John Sir John A. McDonald Parkway. Uh, that was nice because we could all just kind of ride abreast, and, and just about that point, we actually passed the 500 kilometer mark. So we all kind of celebrated that. And just at that moment, I was actually trying to show John Michael on my computer, look, it's about to roll over. And he nearly <laughs> runs into someone right at the moment. And so I look back, he's slamming on the brakes and then he gets back up. And I'm like, wow, that was close. Look. And it's like 501. It's like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that should be mentioned too. Uh, at one point, John Michael, uh, this was way earlier. This is probably about the hundred, just after Toronto. Uh, John Michael, hit a wet patch and bailed. Do you want to speak to that dramatic experience? Oh, how dramatic. No, literally, we 
went down a little hill. We were going pretty fast, but um, there was a wet patch, and I actually thought in my head, I was like, yeah, I should probably hit that like slower square on, and I made the mistake of braking as I took a slight turn hitting. So literally, it was the worst thing I could possibly have done while hitting the water. So basically, I hit it, slid out, um, and it was like the best slide I could do on a bike ever. The bike was one hundred percent the best fall you could do. Best fall I could do. Literally, the bike was totally fine, and I just got like scraped up on my side, my foot, and my elbow, but like not even bad at all. Wrecked a nice pair of bike shorts, though. My bike shorts? Yeah, not mine. Those are Aaron's. Yo, <laughs> sucker! What? <laughs> <laughs> Are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not. I forgot to tell you. I own, I own one. I own one nice pair of shorts. They're my biking shorts. And I put them in a box just specially for biking. Where I think I might do this in the future again. And now I find out after the whole event's done that John Michaels wrecked them. Oh my. I think at the point, but you guys were just getting into Ottawa. Us as support team were starting to freak out because we still had to find parking and get ourselves to Parliament Hill before you guys got there. So me and Ange were driving into Ottawa. It started torrential downpour, thunder, lightning, everything. Apparently, you guys missed every single bit of that, which is great. Um, and then we finally got to our parking spot with the big van, and we had to wait for Scott and Lexi to come to pick us up and bring us into actual Parliament Hill area. <laughs> they had to park yet, and then we had to all walk down there with the balloons and the everything else, trying to get ready for you guys on Parliament Hill. As far as we're concerned as bikers, that... They just teleport from place to place. They don't drive. So we, we didn't think that this would be a problem at all. So as a farmer, I spent a lot of time looking at rain clouds. I, these boys do not realize how lucky they got between like almost hail style rain and like God giving them just like a slim pickings of like perfect timing to get right to capital without getting wet or cold or hailed on or lightning or anything else. And I was like, me and Tom were just watching this. We're like, wow, this is like. The heavens are like literally splitting for these boys because like one massive rainstorm just swipes through the city. The boys just glide in and the next one just kind of closes in right, right just where they were and like dissipates into the horizon. Which, wow. Dude, God, God, thank God. He gave us just the best conditions pretty much we could ask for. Like we got a solid wind at our back. We didn't like us. Cool. Like, like literally it's like we got a tiny bit of rain that felt great like the little splattering that we got felt really nice and refreshing so even just that, as right? you were thinking ah oh, that's enough that's enough refreshing rain stopped totally yeah it, it was, was awesome. just like a smidge even at night it just cooled down and we could all sleep well yeah one of the crappiest things for me was after after we actually got to parliament hill that like two kilometers biking back was the worst because <laughs> it was like my body was like so you're done right yeah we're done okay cool <sighs> a little bit more bike riding no screw you so it was, it was so like painful to just to just get back to the to the cars. But once we were there, we had some more food. It was really nice, and and then yeah, and then um, a bunch of us stayed in, or like three of us, me, Jesse, Warren, we stayed in Ottawa. Really great hospitality. Like man, some of you, the people that we stayed at Brinkman's and Gilman at Johnny Gilman's, uh, super hospitable. We were. Yeah, shout out to them. Yeah. When you visit Ottawa, go look them up. <laughs> They'll provide everything you oh, need. Oh man, Brinkman's. God bless them. They provided a hot tub for us. It was amazing. It was like the greatest thing ever. Story is bookended. Yes. And so, and, but at that point, we, we, like the three of us, chilled. You guys can 
say how your the rest of yours went. We went down to the river and just like sat there by the river with our feet in the water and just relaxed and it was so beautiful. And then we went back to the car and we we're all like, I don't know, what are we gonna do? Fall, all of us fell asleep in the car and we were just like so zonked. And I just woke up to the feeling of my knees just aching, like pain just radiating out of them for I don't even know why. But that was an interesting experience. It's kind of the pain like started moving and shifting around after that. Like different, I don't know. It was just, it was kind of odd. But, and then we went to the hot tub. Hot tub was great. And then even at, at Johnny's afterwards, like I pretty much said, hi, hey dude, my name's, my name's Jake. I have no filter right now. I'm exhausted. Please don't hold anything I say against me because I'm just, I'm completely toast. So that was a really nice night. He was, he was a great guy. Speaking of exhaustion, when you got to the hill, you none of you said anything. <laughs> like there was a, such a mixed emotion of like, we did it and then we're done. Like the two combined, yeah. <laughs> the two tides met, you know. Um, but it really was amazing to see. Alexi and I woke up at 4 a.m., started driving to meet you on the hill. And thanks to the Lord, we could and saw you complete it. And I hope you feel very, um, yeah, accomplished in it. I was thinking of a passage, James 1. <laughs> Count it all joy, my yeah. brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. <laughs> For you know that the testing of your faith, maybe this isn't your faith, but of steadfastness, um, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I don't know if you feel lacking in nothing, but... Uh, or you, if you have everything yet, but it's it's just a kind of a cool story all yeah. along the way to see this journey. So Jesse's kind of flagging me down. I think we want to wrap this up pretty soon. Um, I'm really enjoying this conversation, by the way. But what I, I threw up on Instagram some uh, just ask us any questions. So I just kind of want to maybe spend 10 minutes going through that and just uh, just throwing these out there. So some people ask me some questions. I'll just go from, from the bottom. Uh, and this is important. Jonathan Ritzma. Uh, shout out to Johnny Ritzma. That guy's awesome. Um, and also helps Jermichael and I, especially with our bikes. He said, are you going to do it again? Should we go around and, and say kind of what you guys think? Yeah, so um, right now in the heat of the moment, I've had so many DMs from people who are, really want to do it next year and are really stoked. So I feel like if there's a huge uh, outcry of people who want to do it, like I'm, I'm not dead set on it. And I'd be, I, w I really would love to even like, you know, do it more of a support role like what Aaron and Thomas did. With that being said, if there was any need for people, I would totally do it again. I had a great time, really enjoyed it. Yeah, we were asked this when we pulled in, too, and I think all of us were like, um, kind of, sure. But, yeah, after a couple of days, you, your mind changes. I, I would probably do it again, I think. Um, agree with Jesse. Let, let new people take the role, but you might want a couple of people with experience on pacing and uh, even just navigating so you don't have to think about that sort of thing. might be nice. I don't plan on it. Again, same if there's a ton of people who are contacting me wanting to do it, but I don't think I would unless there was a need. Love mm -hmm. it, but pass the gauntlet on. <laughs> Too much training time. Mm -hmm. I uh, will definitely not do it again. I, my body is not built for cycling. I struggled through a lot of it. Um, I don't, I can't say I enjoyed most of the ride, actually. Uh, it's really fulfilling and meaningful and a lot of things like that, but I didn't enjoy it. And like for those things, I, I don't feel the need to do it again. I'm so glad I did it, but I won't do it again. I really would love to run support though. 
because you guys were super meaningful in the support team and i want to be that for the next group of people riding Aaron, just before you go, I just want to say, Jake's being a little hard on himself. Jake actually killed it and, and worked yeah. super hard and grinded. Um, I think it was the real okay. champ. Maybe what you guys saw. I know what thoughts were running through my brain. <laughs> yeah, but you pushed through it anyway, so that's that's what's important. So, yeah, don't, uh, don't beat yourself up too much. You were a vital member of the team, and that's not trade at all. So I want to speak quickly to kind of the future plans for this event. Uh, me and Thomas talked a bit, and I'm really ambitious. So my goal this summer or this summer was like, let's do a hundred grand, let's get a hundred riders, let's do all this. Thomas was like, no, let's do like five riders. So me and Thomas worked really well together. We kind of decided, you know what, smaller event this year, COVID, much other reasons Thomas had that I succumbed to. Um, and essentially, kind of our goal next year is to scale it up quite a bit. We're not exactly sure what that can look like, whether that's you know three groups of five riders or whether that's you know fifty to hundred riders. Uh, has yet to be determined but there's definitely going to be a lot more support next year and a lot more drive to kind of jump a little bit bigger again you heard it here first <laughs> scott's face when aaron's going on is just like yeah well yep yeah, all right sure, no, sure. Sounds good. so aaron are you thinking of doing the same route because you want another challenge do it in reverse at the same time <laughs> riders both ways <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, Levi asks, on a scale of uh, 1 to 100, how much was your butt hurting? That wasn't that bad. I don't know about you guys. Back? No, butt. I heard a lot of people complaining about the butts. I had pain in a lot of places, and my butt was actually okay. So I don't know if my bike shorts were just like a notch above or if I had different form. I don't know. I was okay, though. I have a theory, actually. Um, when you're riding a short distance, your butt is really sore. Uh, that pain starts to become insignificant in comparison to the rest of your body after a while. Yeah, I just want to clarify one thing too. So we all have some biking equipment, and one of those is our chamois. Uh, so if you're not familiar with these, these are padded bike shorts, and uh, yeah, they work wonders. So even if you're just a commuter to work, I would recommend wearing a, a set of those underneath your your brief, your your shorts or whatever. Uh, yeah, just, sir, look just, them up. Just to answer the question head on, I'm gonna say it was out of a hundred or ten. A hundred. Seventy percent. Sure. Um, let's see. So uh, Aria about actually asks, how did you not get bored? It's kind of interesting. Yo, actually, morale is huge. Like, there's definitely sections yeah. where you ride in silence. Um, I love. I, I know that we had for for the sake of speed, we had to do the drafting thing where we're riding in a line, uh, single file. Also, just for to not you know annoy the crap out of drivers on these roads. But the sections where we drove, rode, and talked to each other, and we w don't get me wrong, we would not have wanted to do that the entire trip. But the sections where we did that, that was huge for morale and. Uh, a conversation keeps your mind like engaged in the challenge of that and it uh, keeps it off off just like thinking about your body and so like highly recommend conversations when you can and and when you can't audiobooks and podcasts and music were good so yeah. huge shout out to John Mayer who dropped a single <coughs> the day of and gave us something hey, to man. put on repeat that uh, that took my mind off things a lot of the time banger song uh, train ride home last train home Josh isn't with us tonight, but I know uh, his favorite part of the trip probably was when we rode in pairs and talked. Um, mm -hmm. When we were in a line kind of, you know, making hay as the sunshine, uh, he would kind of drop back and be like, so, so you think we can ride in pairs again? <laughs> I'm getting bored. <laughs> I, uh, 
I listen to two three-hour-long podcasts. Um, Courtney DeWalter, she's an endurance athlete who won, I think in 2016 or 2017, she run the, won the Moab 240, which is a 240-mile run. She did it in 58 hours. So listening to her, she's an absolute sweetheart and a monster at the same time. Like, for her to do that was so inspiring to me. Like, I was sitting at Oshawa, or no, Belleville going, she ran what we just biked and more. And so listening to her, that podcast was really inspiring and just like, people have done this. People are like, human beings have so much potential for this kind of thing in them. Like, I, I got this. So that was entertainment and motivation for me. And then I listened to another podcast with David Goggins, who's also crazy. You guys nuts. David Goggins is like something else entirely. Uh, yeah, like Courtney inspires me because it's like, oh, I could do this too. David doesn't really make me think that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, also like there are just sections though where you actually didn't want to listen to anything. Like yeah. I, I would start an audiobook and I would find myself not paying attention and you just sort of zone out. Like there are long chunks where you just, it's it's past boredom it's like a trans it's transcended boredom into meditation if you will nirvana yeah no for real though like any i haven't done a lot of endurance sports but any long hikes i've been on um hiking it's a little bit taboo to listen to stuff for whatever reason so you often find yourself just hiking in silence and it's a really beautiful thing actually so i i highly recommend yourself letting your letting yourself get bored sometimes sometimes it gets better as it goes all right, I'm, I'm going to skip that question, actually, because it's more funny that... I think, actually, one more thing on that. In our culture, we're just so used to having things going on all the time. You get in your car, you put your music on. You know, there's not even... Driving isn't even interesting enough for us. But honestly, if you can... Jesse was alluding to it a bit. These kind of, like, zen times. But these times when, you, like, it's just quiet. You're focusing on what you're doing. But you can, you know, you can think about what's actually going on in your life. And you can think about... I know for myself, like, just, I'm closest to the Lord in those moments. Like, there was times, maybe it's the same for the rest of them, where it's just, it's time to pray. Like, you're just there. Yeah. You're doing, you're doing this, and, and you can, you can just be with your father. You can be with, be with Christ and just talk to him and say, "Ah, this is insane. Thank you for giving me the strength. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for providing, and please keep providing. And, you know, obviously he was listening as they were talking about earlier. The, the rainstorms literally parted for us. There are a few moments where, like, I was just my internal monologue was more or less like, I want to die right now. And so one of the things I did to kind of combat that was I started praying gratitude. So it was like, God, thank you that we have a tailwind. God, thank you for these awesome views. Like, one of the points I hated the most was some of those mountains, or so, hills rather, those sucked. But, like, gorgeous, gorgeous views lakes like we you come around the corner and just be coasting by this like picturesque northern lake like it was really really beautiful and I'm, I'm thankful for that even as i was like you know my energy was just being sapped at the same time there's a lot of things to be grateful for like you guys were awesome like couldn't have asked for a better team to go with so that's prayer is a huge thing throughout the trip at least for me as as well as you how do your muscles feel now that's another question asked by brady brady boy 2020 I, I feel fine now. I think that might be Brady DeBoer. If so, shout out to Brady. Um, <laughs> great athlete. Uh, my muscles feel totally fine. Um, like, I would say, like, I'm 90%. The only weird thing is I did some nerve damage to my hands from the way that I was, uh, the position I was in for too long. And so, like, I can't feel my pinkies or, 
or uh, ring fingers, and my hands are at like 50% strength. And it's according to the Googles, it's going to be like that for a few weeks. So yeah, no, uh, my muscles feel great, but nerves not so much. Yeah, a couple of days on, um, my legs are probably stronger than they'll be for the rest of the year if I don't get back on my bike soon. So if anyone wants to race me right now, this is the time. My neck hurts a bit other than that. Feeling good. The main thing that I found for like physical is I, I felt day or two after I felt like, oh, this is a, I, like I just done a really gnarly workout. The thing that struck me over the next couple of days, I was so drained. I feel like I pulled energy reserves from like the absolute depths. So even like driving home the day after a Warren was yeah. like, we were all just kind of get out of the car and just kind of slump over as we had to stand up like walking, man. And even though it wasn't even that sore, it was just like, I didn't know I could be that tired for so long. Yeah. You pull kind of energy from really deep. Uh, we didn't talk about this too much, but during the ride, we, uh, we all fueled as we rode. So we would ride with food on us. Um, we'd all done the research and you can uptake carbs only so fast and sugars. And so we would all snack on like our preferred fueling strategy. And so this would hold up what's called like the dreaded bonk uh, or the crack, which is when you basically have no energy and you can't, you can barely move the, the pedals. Um, and so we were so used to just consuming food slowly throughout the day that we never felt this deep fatigue. But then as we switch back to normal life, I can attest to what Jake's saying. You just kind of feel zonked uh kind of zombified and and deep in your muscles you just have no energy left yeah um melissa van dyken asks you did it in 29 hours right i'm assuming that's not including the four hour night sleep uh no 29 hours was from leaving glendale to arriving on parliament hill uh we got five hours of sleep um my Strava says that we were between the day one and day two, like butts in the saddle moving was 18 and a half hours. And so it like, it might sound like, well, hold up. You did 29, 18 and a half hours. You were resting for so long, but it's like, yeah, but a 15 minute break every two hours adds up to nearly four hours of break time. Three then, one hour breaks. Yep. And then three, one hour breaks. And then just a little five minutes here, five minutes there, going to the bathroom, <laughs> stuff like that, that adds up really fast. So ultimate, ultimate biking time was 18 and a half, maybe 19 hours overall and then breaks and sleeping in between there yeah and i know some people who are interested in doing an even in an even faster time by cutting out a lot of those breaks but uh for the level we were at since we're like am uh at least four to five of us for amateurs we like we needed that much break time yeah um we talked about mental lows and how we combated them i think we kind of covered that um uh pam picks 68 asks did you at any point question whether you could finish and if so, could, did you get through it? No. Nope. Not really. A couple times, I was like, I'm not sure, but I always had the math in my head, and I knew that essentially the limiting factor was sleep. Like, if I brought the team down to 25 kilometers an hour, it just means we got an hour less of sleep, which was sucky, but we, I always knew we could do it. The biggest decision we made that basically made this a non-issue was stopping earlier and sleeping yeah so that instead of doing 100k in the morning we did 150 and that sleep made such a big difference mm -hmm. to our morale to our energy that um that question kind of left us uh after when we woke up we were good especially at the 100 point mark 100 kilometer mark it was like yeah we got this um yeah last question in, from someone who i don't think really got the memo was why would one want to bike from hamilton to ottawa 
I don't really. Apparently, Go back and listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what though? I know people who have been talking about wanted to do this like not for charity even and really. Yeah. Well, okay, but them. here's the thing though, Jake. When 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 we started this, like you said, you asked us why we wanted to do it, and obviously, um, obviously, like even before you know learning much about like what Word Indeed was up to, I I care about Word Indeed and I care about um, money being raised. But yeah, like the initial attraction was for me like uh just a challenge. Um, yeah. And for yeah. you, and for you, you mentioned the story, and I heard some other answers kind of in between those two. So like, I can. Yeah, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I can totally see that, like, even aside from a charity ride, that there is appeal to this, and, and humans are weird, and we like to challenge ourselves with stuff, like, to varying degrees. There's some people who want to break world records. There's some people who, yeah. who just want to do something that's a little harder than what they did yesterday, so it's not that weird. Yeah, I take that back. That's fair. Um, that's more or less the questions that were asked. I, I don't know if there's anything else we want to cover. Pardon? <sighs> Fine. Jonathan Gilman asks, is... Uh, What's her name? Sorry, is Toby a girl's name or a... What did he say? Dog's name. Or dog's name. <laughs> Warren, take it away. So, we're at our lovely guest, the Brinkmans, and we are zonked. Um, so, there's four people in the family. should be pretty easy to keep the names straight. Um, we're holding conversation, and the dog comes up to me, and I just go, hey, Toby. <laughs> and then go, oh, no. That's one of our darling host names. <laughs> and just kind of rolled with it. So shout out to Toby. You're a gem. And I didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah. And like, man, you want to round that out with a point on community again? The people who just like volunteered their house. Like, we didn't know the Brinkmans that well at all. And they're like, come over. We'll feed you awesome pizza here have drinks have like some water like rest up want to use our hot tub like christians man think like that community is just so cool we just had the like we got pampered after this ride just from people who weren't even that close to us and we made some new friends and like i'm so thankful for that and even even more beautiful people hearing about the trip after the fact and reaching out and saying hey can i still sponsor can i still be a part of this um, thank you so much. Yes, the link is still open. Yes, you can still sponsor. Well, I don't know when this gets released, but I'm going to hand this over to Scott. Just a final note, if you have a biking itch that you want to scratch and you don't want to wait a year and you don't want to bike 500 kilometers, you can bike on September 25th for Word and Deeds Coast to Coast Bikeathon. And what that means is you can get a few of your friends together just like these guys did and you can set a goal maybe it's not 50,000 maybe it's 500 5,000 and um, you too can bike for the Nakakila AIDS clinic um, more support is needed and also the event in the fall will be supporting a school uh, close to the clinic uh, in which many of the children's parents um, have AIDS or have passed away from AIDS so it's a very vulnerable uh, school and they can um, yeah, you can help out that way too, yourself. So I just leave that for you. Let's close with that. Uh, guys, thank you so much for doing this. Um, really awesome to be able to do it with you all. So yeah, we'll close this up here. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. 
it's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at it's the Volk. Have a good one, guys.